Hey, it's Rebecca. Before we begin, I want to let you know that we are overwhelmed by your love and support and kind comments on social media. And I want to ask you for a quick favor. Please leave us a review. It really does help us out and it helps others discover the podcast too. And here's this week's show. People tune in you know, once every four years and they see us smiling and happy, but they don't see all the times where we're doubting ourselves and all the moments that build up. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. My guest today has accomplished more in her 22 years than most of us do in a lifetime. Four years ago in London, she became the first American woman to win the gold medal for her floor routine, which, by the way, was supposed to be impossible until she did it. Perform to the song, Hava Nagila. And while it's rare for gymnasts to make back-to-back Olympic teams, she kept training and took it to the next level, becoming captain of the 2016 U.S. Olympic gymnastics team. She is now a six-time Olympic medalist and the two-time team captain of the gold medal-winning U.S. Olympic gymnastics teams. And to think it all started at a Mommy and Me class when she was just 18 months old. Allie Raisman, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I look back on your story. You started gymnastics two years old, 18 months old, Mm -hmm. with your mom in a mommy and me class. Yes. Was it love at first whatever? (laughs) I think so. I mean, obviously, I don't remember when I was that little, but I just remember um, my mom says that I loved it and I... I stuck with it. So, I mean, I guess it was love at first sight, but I wish I could remember. You know, I wish we could all remember how we were when we were two years old. I bet you have some great video of that time, though. I'm sure. Yeah, I've, I've seen some stuff. Um, I was always the one that when we were doing something as a group, I was always like looking off to the side or I was doing like cartwheels. Like I could never stand in line because I just I couldn't sit still. Your mom and dad are both athletes themselves <laughs> and you're one of four kids yes, yeah did you feel like growing up was sports really important in your home yeah I mean my dad did it he was uh he never did gymnastics but he was always very athletic he did um hockey and baseball growing up and my mom did high school gymnastics so I think that you know I was the oldest of four so they you know, I think a lot of parents can agree that their first kid, they kind of throw them in every sport and then they then they see which one they like. But I was just the kind of their like I was just the one that like tried everything out and I love gymnastics the most. But my dad uh, would coach me in soccer and baseball and basketball and all of those sports when I was younger. So it was really cool. I'm sure he was kind of bummed at the time when I like gave those up for gymnastics because that was like our bonding time. But now I'm sure he's happy that I, that I stuck with it. <laughs> it kind of worked yes. out. When, when you look back, you were so young when you had to make that commitment to gymnastics. You were eight or yes, something like um, that. Yeah, I quit. Um soccer at the time and I had to just pick gymnastics because my schedule got too crazy which I look back at eight years old yeah I look back and I'm I think it was one of those things where it was a no-brainer for me um I don't know I I don't I didn't really see it as oh I have to stop soccer I saw it as oh I get to do gymnastics more now so it's crazy to look back now I can't imagine giving up something like you know soccer another sport at eight years old but I think I just looked at it like I love gymnastics so much and I get to do it more and what what was going through your mind as a kid, eight years old? Did you was it all 
I'm going to the Olympics. That's yes, the dream. I was a very confident knew. kid. Yeah, I always knew I was going to go to the Olympics. I knew that I was going to win an Olympic gold medal on floor. I think I was just a little psychic. When I was younger, I would joke around that I was psychic, and then that actually <laughs> happened, so maybe I am. <laughs> you would tell people you were psychic? Yeah, oh my God, my teammates thought I was crazy. I would joke around that I was psychic, and I was like, I'm going to win a gold medal at the Olympics. They're like, oh, you're crazy. And I, w- I would just joke around. There was this movie... Um, Like, all those Disney Channel movies, I was obsessed with them. And so I just thought that, like, I had these cool superpower stuff like they did. And I I don't know. I was your (laughs) typical little girl that just loved watching that stuff. You were very type A personality right from the start. Uh, When you were a kid, especially with siblings, how was the lifestyle? What, What was it like to be practicing all the time? And how much of your life was spent, even in those really young years, doing gymnastics? I mean, I think when I look back at my childhood, it's all gymnastics. I mean, there was times where I would have to beg my coaches to leave practice early to go trick-or-treating. I never missed workout to go trick-or-treating, maybe when I was like eight or nine years old. But after that, it was like, it was totally, you know, frowned upon a... um, when I moved gyms to be with the coaches I'm with now, um, I moved there when I was 10 years old. And I remember I had moved gyms and went to the new gym in October. And I remember in December, my, my dad went out to my coach and was like, okay, Mihai, um, we're, we'll see you in two weeks. And they were like, wait, what? And my dad was like, oh, we're going to Florida on vacation. And my coach, Mihai, was like, we don't do that here. He was like, this will be your last time going on vacation. <laughs> that was your last vacation? For that long, yeah. So I used to – I went – actually, I went to Mexico with my family in 2013. So then I started training again. So my coach, Mihai, said to my dad, he said, if you – if she wants to be good – and this was at 10 years old. He said, we don't do vacations here. So it's kind of like his way or no way. He was like, you can take her on vacations, but I won't help her, you know, if she wants to get to the Olympics because you just can't be traveling you you have to be all in it or nothing and so then you know I would go to Florida because it was my grandparents house but I would go for like three days so that was okay to miss and the rest two of the family was there a yeah, little longer yes. yeah so my mom would actually stay back with me so I owe my mom a lot because my dad would take my two sisters and my brother to Florida for like two weeks they would come back so tan my mom and I <laughs> and be, would be stuck in the snow in Boston but I owe my mom a lot because she would drive me to and from the gym um so I'm very lucky that she was able to stay. How were you thinking of the trade-offs back then? Because this is before you won, right? Mm-hmm. So at any point in your life, let alone when you're young, thinking through that trade-off, it's a tough call. And mm-hmm. sometimes you ask yourself, is this really worth it? Yeah, were but you at the time that? I didn't. I don't know. I just always just thought, like, this is what I have to do in order to go to the Olympics. Like, it wasn't even like when he said no more vacations, I was like, okay, that's fine. I just... I think when I got older and I I remember I wanted to go to prom my senior year, he let me um, work out in the morning instead of the evening. So I got to go to prom. But and I remember at the time I kind of I was excited just to go to prom. I didn't really get my hair and makeup done like the girls do, like they all get ready together. I didn't do that. And I remember I like showed up late to pictures because I had just come back from practice. And for me, it wasn't even like I missed out on the after party, you know, where like a lot of people in my um in my area will sleep over at someone's house in like a cape house or their beach house. And so I didn't get to do that. But at the time it was like four months out from the Olympics. So I, w- I was just like razor focused on the Olympics. I don't know. I always, I'm not the type of person that like a lot of people have like FOMO fear of missing out. <laughs> I mean, I think now I'm that I have time to relax. I want to hang out and I don't want to miss out on all the fun stuff, but I didn't then because I was training. 
you would have been more FOMO around the Olympics and what what if. Yes, exactly. That was scarier for me. I knew that right now I have time to have a social life then. I didn't, but now because I, you know, sacrificed, not sacrificed my social life. There's so many people that have sacrificed so much more. They fight for our country. So I don't like the word sacrifice, but, um, you know, giving up my social life now, I've gotten to do so many more exciting things that I never thought I would be able to do. So um, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I've talked to a number of athletes about the economic side of all of this. Just, I mean, you, not only do you pour all of your time into this, but it's an insanely expensive thing as mm-hmm. well to get there. Yeah, so, I mean, I think gymnastics, you know, once I made the national team, they kind of, they give you, like, a stipend once a month, and um, they, you know, it, it's not, you know, your clothes, you get national team clothes, and you get leotards and stuff for free, but, you know, gymnastics, in the Olympic sports, we don't get paid contracts, so the only way of making money is actually if you get a sponsorship by a company. And Which so, you only get if you if win. If you win, yes, exactly. So that's the hard thing is, um, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm able to have the platform now to work with so many incredible companies. And I think, you know, being in this position, I'm, I'm thankful that I can pick and choose and see what kind of brands I want to put myself with and to partner with because I think that's an important thing is, is now that I'm thinking about building my brand, I want people to think I'm a good role model. But I was lucky that my parents could afford it. it it really breaks my heart when I hear that parents can't afford or their um, kids doing a sport you know when little girls say oh I used to do gymnastics but I just stopped because my parents couldn't afford it that just breaks my heart and it's so sad so um you know it just it, that could actually be something that I could help you know with you know I'm always trying to think of different you know charities and ways to be involved but I think that's a cool one is if you know kids can't afford to play sports I think that's a really important outlet for kids to have to be able to do something that they love to do and to kind of when you're playing sports you feel like you're away from the world and away from everything I think it's a really great thing for all kids to be a part of so take us back to 2012 you realize oh my goodness I am the best (laughs) in the world it's it's not a question anymore it is a fact what goes through your head? Well, I think it's just all the hard work that you put into it, and then you instantly want to find your parents because they're in the stands, and there's just it what, takes. Did a you connect eyes with them? What What were uh, they? No, think? in London, they, my parents were like so aggravated. They had such. They were in the nosebleeds during my floor <laughs> final. My mom was so mad because she said I was like a little dot on the floor. She could barely see me, so she was like, "I thought it was a good routine, but I couldn't." You were like a ping pong ball. Yeah, she couldn't see like if I like stuck my landing or if I took little steps or hops which makes a difference, um, obviously, at that level because every 10th counts. So she was like, I couldn't really see the score, and I had to, like, find, you know, she could see the jumbotron, but, like, she couldn't see the score actually on the floor. So she just said it was like she didn't know, you know, what was going on. But um, I couldn't see them right away, but obviously right after, you know, when I get to see them, it's always, like, the best feeling because you're just – they're so proud of you, and it's just – it takes a village. There's no words that could say, you know, how much – it means to them, but I'm sure my mom was like, "Okay, I'm glad I stayed home for a reason." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, vacation. no big deal missing out yeah. on those Florida trips yes. now. And then you make this call to go back in 2016, captain of the team. What drove you in that moment over those four years to put yourself back in that crazy state of like, I have to miss more vacations? You were already the best in the world. 
I think I had this, I just had this thing click. I mean, after 2012, I knew I would come back, but I, I took me about a year to like want to be back in the gym. And then once September hit, I just like had this itch to get back in the gym and I loved it. And then after about a year, I was like, oh my God, I hate it. I don't know why I really? did this. Yes, I was. It, so in, when I first started to come back the full year of training in 2000 and it was, I think, 2013 to 2014, I think. Um, and it might actually might have been 2014. I was like, I, I loved it. I felt like a little kid back in the gym. And then when the year of 2015, I was just like, I didn't like it because I was having such a hard time. I was struggling. And I think before... You know, you have every every um, struggle, you know, can lead into greatness if you let it. And so I think that you have to struggle in order to be successful. But I just kept telling myself and I, I kept thinking, you know, I had such a rough year. I was really doubting myself. I didn't have a good world championships. It was the worst competition I'd ever had in my whole entire career. And so I said, I'm not struggling just for no reason. Like, this has to be for some reason. So I said, instead of crying into my pillow and being upset. I'm going to change my mindset. Stop doubting myself. Stop feeling so insecure. I'm here for a reason. I'm going to stop putting so much pressure on myself. And I just said for 2016, I'm going to go into it with the mindset that I am going to be up on that podium again. And I'm finally going to get my all around medal. And so sometimes you have to have some sort of, I don't like the word failure either, because I think failures happen for a reason. And, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. But I had to have that really that bad competition in order to kind of wake myself up and to think I'm being way too hard on myself. And what was it inside of you that came around to that idea? I mean, was it was it your parents? Was it a coach? Yeah, I think my mom kind of, well, I think my coach and I were both so hard on ourselves and my coaches are very old school. They're Romanian. And I think my mom just said like, you two have to just like get it together. Like stop. It doesn't, my mom's like, I don't care if you don't make the Olympic team, but I care that you're not happy and you're not, Mm. uh, you're being too hard on yourself. So my mom is telling my coach, she's like, I understand you want her to be the best. I understand you're, you're being tough on her, but you have to find a balance where like she's happy because if I'm not happy, I can't train and put you know you want to put everything into it but you can see in your gymnastics when you're not happy and you're not enjoying it and so my mom said I don't care what happens I just like you have about a year left you've got to enjoy it Um, it was in December I actually my ankles were killing me my body was hurting me and this was uh, two months after world championships in 2015 I was in um, a boot because I hurt my ankle and I was and I had a brace on my other ankle for about a month and I think that month was the best thing to happen to me because my mom said she's like I told you, you have to, you're just, you guys are just pushing too much. You're obsessing over winning. So I think my mom really helped out in the sense of like kind of waking us both up. Like it's just gymnastics. Let's just get healthy. Stop pushing myself so much. Be a little bit more confident. Enjoy it. And then I kind of, everything sort of worked out in the time I got to the Olympics. I just said, I'm here for a reason. I'm going to enjoy it. And I know that I'm one of the best in the world. I'm here with my teammates who are the best in the world. And together, um, we're just going to show America, you know, everyone's been so supportive. Everyone's watching us back home. So we have to like feel that and enjoy that while we're competing. Watching it back home. It was incredible to see you you competing (laughs) and Simone. I mean, what an incredible group of women. It made me very proud. It made me very excited to see all of you rising to the occasion. Um, and I think it's a great lesson also that you and your mom learned along the way yeah. that your mom helped impart because, you know, getting happy, taking that step back, yeah. clearing your head, even when you're incredibly successful yeah. like yourself, is 
incredibly important. Well, it's important, too. I mean, even though I was successful at the Olympics, it's not like there are so many times where I feel like I doubt myself or I'm having a hard time. People tune in, you know, once every four years and they see us smiling and happy, but they don't see all the times where we're doubting ourselves and all the moments that build up. You know, you have to doubt yourself. You have to feel insecure in order to feel confident because you kind of you have to sometimes get to that low point where you have to wake yourself up and say, okay, I'm, I'm better than this. I have to, you know, you can only help yourself. You know, you can see like a sports psychologist, but if you can't help yourself, then you can't expect other people to help you. So I got to ask, you play Hava Nagila in your routines. Hava Nagila played at my wedding. Uh, um, obviously a very celebratory song. How did you choose that? Well, um, so we were, it took, it took, forever for me to find the right floor music that I wanted and um, my mom was looking on YouTube for hours my coaches were looking on YouTube it took us like forever it's such a long process and we would find music we would show it to Marta Caroli and she would say no I don't like it so we were like okay can you give us some feedback like what kind of music do you want she said I want folk music so um, we decided on Hub and it was kind of just one of those things where it wasn't like I was thinking, like, oh, I want some sort of song that represents the Jewish community. It just kind of worked out. I want to feel we, like I'm at my bat mitzvah. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't. It just it kind of just worked out. And, um, it, you know, I didn't really realize how much it would change my life after using that song because, you know, the Jewish community around the world has just been, like, so supportive and they really embraced me. Um, it's It's been absolutely incredible. But um, I think that folk music is something that it fits well with me uh, on part Romanian and part Russian so um, for the Olympics this time I had Russian folk music and a lot of the times the judges they were once a part of the Soviet Union and they broke off into their country so they you know recognize that Russian folk music and they grew up with it a lot of the uh, the judges are older That's so they listen interesting. yeah so I, I try to think about it like that so there's like almost an emotional aspect to yes, you. You try and get the, the judges. Yes, you hit them right in the heart. I try to get a little bit of some points. Um, but I mean, even um, with my teammate Simone, that her music was Brazilian, and of course the Olympics were in Rio. So there's always some kind of thought behind it. And um, but and it's also no detail. I mean, think about this. I didn't realize this. Maybe it's like a known thing, but there's so many details, including yes. the music. Yes, it's a big, big part of it. And, um, you know, you want music that the crowd can get into and they can clap to. So that's also why I had folk music. And were you ever lifted up on a chair during that song at a family party yes, or something I like was. that? It's awesome. <laughs> it is. It's very fun. You feel like you're going to fall if you get a hold on really tight. Yes. yes it's the best you do. part, though. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So toughest lesson for you to learn along the way? Uh, I would say not to be so hard on myself. I'm one of those people where I am a perfectionist, so I kind of overthink things and I'm really, really hard on myself where I just want to be a little bit more in the moment and to relax. Good advice. If you could go back and speak to that eight-year-old self who decided, I'm going for it, what would you tell her? I would say just to like take in every moment. Um, there's some Enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. There were some moments, obviously, you know, just like everyone's life, you don't want to take it in or you don't want to necessarily... You know, like certain parts of the training, it's exhausting, it's tiring, but I think that maybe on the hard days that it'll be worth it. Yeah, I, I would imagine because you have such high expectations of yourself and such big goals, you're not necessarily celebrating the little things along the way, at least at some point in your life. And learning to celebrate that is really is key. It, yes, it's really important. I think, you know, I've, I've noticed, especially la these last few months, I've gotten to do so many incredible things and I've gotten to be, 
you know, the face of so many incredible brands and a part of campaigns and in magazines and um, on TV shows. But I've noticed that, you know, all those things are exciting and they're fun. But being with your family is like the most incredible thing. And I think sometimes people take that for granted. Um, You know, I try to tell my little sisters because they're 14 and 16 and they're kind of at the age where like they're too cool for my dad. (laughs) And I'm always like, which is, you know, a lot of girls get to that age when I was younger. I think when I was 12, I was kind of like, too cool for my dad for like a minute and then I was like he drove me all the time to and from practice and then I realized how lucky I am but I always tell my sisters like you they don't understand how lucky they are to have parents that love them and care about them and they my dad will just stop anything and everything just to like make sure that we're fine like my parents put us first all the time so I make sure that my sisters really understand that. How does it feel? Because everything now is so public. You know, you have mm-hmm. a huge social media following. People are tracking your every word, everything you do. How do you handle that part of this? Well, I feel like that part doesn't really sink in. I, st- I like in my head, I'm like, I don't think that people really pay attention to me because the Olympics are over. So that's just <laughs> what I think. But um, I don't know. I think I just sort of block it out. Like, I just don't think about that part. Um, I try to just think about all the little girls and the little kids that look up to me and, um, you know, hopefully the women that look up to me. And it's funny, even sometimes dads will stop me on the street and they recognize me. And um, it's just really cool and it inspires me to be a better person because that's kind of what I try to think about. But I also think about all the support that I get, um, you know, on social media and everything. It's a it's very cool way to kind of interact with your fans and to kind of see what all your teammates and everyone's up to. It's great that you're getting all of that support on social media. I think it's obviously well worth it. But I also know that there's the other side of it. Do you just shut that out? It's kind of hard because sometimes I'll see one out of like a million comments. The only one, one you focus on. Yes, and that drives me nuts. And then it gets me upset that I'm thinking about that one thing. And then I think, okay, well, maybe... Um, you also have to think about the fact that that one person sending it is probably unhappy, which is sad that they, you know, feel like they need to go out of their way to put someone else down. What else do you want? What are the other big goals in front of you now? It's hard to think about a certain one goal, but there's so much exciting stuff right now. Um, you know, I'm with Piercing Pagoda for Heartful Hands Jewelry Collection, which is, I mean, I never thought I'd be helping designing jewelry. I mean, it's amazing what gymnastics has, what platform it's created for me. It's really exciting. And um It's just so cool to be able to see little kids, you know, wearing the jewelry and posting photos. You can find it at the mall, and there's a photo of me. And so to see them, you know, tweeting and posting photos of them next to me, it's just very cool and very special. And, you know, the message behind it is there's two hands that make a heart, so every piece has a heart in it. So it's basically spreading the message of, you know, loving each other, supporting each other, kind of building off of what we were talking about with social media, you know, not bullying each other. And so hopefully when people see, you know, someone wearing it or they look down on their hand, they see the heart, it just reminds them. Kindness is the most important thing that a person, I think, that a person um, can be. It's far more important than any place that you could be on the podium. So hopefully people will, um, you know, take that and parents can teach their kids that today, too. It's good advice. What's one thing you wish everybody knew about you? Hmm. I think that people just need to know that, um, that you know, the life that they see on, at the Olympics on TV is not 
how it always is. Like, we work so hard. They don't see the journey. We work so hard to get to that point. They don't see all the times where we're exhausted. They don't see that sometimes we don't like gymnastics. Sometimes we don't want to go to the gym. And it's the same for all of us girls. It's very hard. It's very challenging. And I think they look at it like gymnastics is easy for us. And it's actually very scary. I was like, my coach always said that I was the biggest chicken he ever worked with because I was so afraid of gymnastics. It's really terrifying. I would have like anxiety before bed because the stuff we do is so scary. It is very scary. It is. It looks scary. scary. I haven't done it. So the closest I've come to gymnastics was like rolling around on the floor as a three-year-old. <laughs> it's very challenging. It's really hard. You have to – I took off Sundays, that's it. And even by the time Monday came around, I was never recovered. I was still exhausted. So it's not easy, even though we I, we make it look easy on TV, but it's not. <laughs> you make it look too easy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, maybe we should make it look a little harder so people <laughs> will think it's hard. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And best wishes with everything ahead. Thank you, too. It's going to be a big year. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Boncardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.